This is the Cycling Over 60 Podcast, Season 2, Episode 29, Cruise Bike Recumbents, and I'm your host, Tom Butler. There are about nine more days to prepare for the chilly hilly ride. It is a 33-mile ride with 2,173 feet of elevation. I feel good about how I'm preparing for the ride, but it will challenge me. On the chilly hilly, there will be a couple of things that I will be experiencing for the first time on a group ride. First is that I won't have a trunk on my bike. I was used to carrying a lot of stuff with me, so I will have to leave some stuff behind. It's easier to do that now because I know more about what I don't need on a supported ride. I am buying a Rock Bros handlebar bag. I'm not 100% sold that I'm going to like a handlebar bag, but I thought it was inexpensive enough to give it a try. One of my concerns is that I don't know how to take an extra upper body layer with me without the trunk. The high temperature is projected to be 48 degrees, and it will probably rain all day. I am guessing that will mean around 34 degrees when we get on a ferry at 8 a.m. to go to the island where the ride takes place. I am not sure how to dress, and I would prefer to have the ability to stuff an extra layer in the bike trunk. I don't think I can do that with the handlebar bag being kind of small. I will be looking next week for some options that might give me some flexibility. The other issue is that this is the first group ride where I will be experiencing a new gear ratio. In the past, I could grind up hills with a 42-46 gear ratio. Now, the lowest I have is a 34-34. I can definitely feel that difference on training rides. It'll be interesting to see how it works out on the hills of the Chili Hilly. The biggest hill on the route is 3,000 feet long with a max grade of 10.2%. The average grade is 7.1%. I'm sure my legs will be burning before I get to the top. The hill is 20 miles in, so that will be another factor. There are three or four smaller hills before I get there, in the range of about 4% max grade. I'm going to let my heart rate get up to 165 beats per minute before I step off the bike. It would be great to be able to do the whole route without stepping off once. I went for the first ride with Garen and McKenna on her new bike. I talked about her bike choice last week. For people new to the podcast, McKenna is my daughter and her husband Garen has been riding with me from almost the beginning of my cycling over 60 journey. We did 30 miles with a meal stop halfway through. That was the longest she had ever been on a bike. I think she did fantastic and she said she wasn't as sore afterwards as she expected to be. The 30 mile ride we did had a decent headwind, so I'm glad she got to experience what that is like. She also got to experience what it's like to ride behind someone who blocks a lot of wind. I think she is very interested in learning how to draft behind me after that experience. She is going to do the chilly hilly, which is going to be quite a test for her since she doesn't have a lot of time to prepare. I think she won't be faster than me on this ride, but I don't expect that it will take long before I will be working to keep up with her. It will be a different experience not being the slowest rider in the group. She had been on a search for a saddle that felt comfortable. She ended up buying a 155mm Specialized Power Comp. That is what she did the 30 miles on, and she found it to be comfortable, which is saying a lot because she hadn't spent a bunch of time on a saddle before that ride. I'm really looking forward to kicking off the 2024 group rides with the Chili Hilly. I am certainly expecting some great experiences this year. (music) 
I have been noticing recumbents on all the group rides I've done, and they are interesting to me. A brand that seems to stick out from the others is Cruise Bike. As I've mentioned, now that my daughter is riding, it leaves my wife out because she doesn't have a bike that feels comfortable to her. So we have decided to consider a recumbent for her. I was able to get Maria Parker, Cruise Bike CEO, and her husband and co-founder, Jim Parker, to come on the podcast. Here is our discussion. I'm really honored today to have my guests with me, Maria and Jim Parker here. Thank you guys for coming on. Thanks so much for having us, Tom. We're, we're honored to be on your show. Our pleasure. Now, I'm going to let kind of your story unfold here, but I do want to say that you are with a company called Cruise Bike, and I am super curious about Cruise Bike. So this is as much of me just asking questions about what I'm curious about as well as anything. And we'll start out with a question. What is a memory each of you have of cycling as a kid? So uh, I grew up in... Falls Church, Virginia, sort of inside the Beltway around Washington, D.C. And the bicycle was just this amazing way my friends and I could just go exploring. And we would explore just, I mean, we'd go for, for miles, probably five or 10 miles. But that could take us all the way down Route 50. Back then, the Army bases weren't necessarily locked up. We could cut through Fort Myers drop down through Arlington Cemetery uh, and and hit Memorial Bridge and be like in front of the Lincoln Memorial, which I remember that was just an amazing bicycle ride that we, we did as kids. And uh, back then, you know, parents also didn't worry about it. you just you leave in the morning and you come back before dark. And that was that's all that mattered. You didn't have a phone. And, and if you had a snack, you went to your friend's house and they fed you. And so, yeah, the bicycling was just pure joy and freedom as a kid. Yeah, Jim took me on that ride when we were dating. That was it was really cool. Yeah, for me that my favorite bicycle memory, and I I talk about it all the time. And cruise bike is is um, turning seven. I got a new to me bicycle. I had learned to ride a bike prior to that, but uh, my dad believed in making things hard before they were easy, so it was real rickety and you know. But I I knew how to ride it. And but for my seventh birthday, I got a newish bike. I remember it was blue. It was beautiful. And it was, and I remember riding down my parents' driveway and just the speed and the feeling of the wind in my face. And, and just at that moment, I felt like, I remember just pedaling out of sight of the house and thinking, I'm, you know, I'm grown up now. (laughs) This is freedom. This is independence. So bicycles have meant a lot to both of us, I guess. I love that. At one point, Jim, you became interested in recumbents, and I'm wondering how that came about. What drew you to a recumbent bicycle? You you are a physician and, and a cyclist, and I'm wondering if that being a physician played a role or what, what drew you? I guess in a way, because I, I got mono-focused on the bicycle and recumbent bikes in particular. So uh, I was in my 40s, and actually Maria decided that she was going to do triathlons. And so she had been a runner, never really been a cyclist, like a competitive cyclist, just a recreational cyclist. And she asked me, she said, Jim, you know, I'm going to start training on my road bike. And I had a road bike too, and but I hadn't ridden it in years. Uh, It wasn't a super high quality one. So 
I went out for a ride with her and it was so uncomfortable after about five or 10 minutes on that bike that I said, you know, I'm not, I, I'm sorry. I, I just can't do this. It's just, it's just too uncomfortable. It's hurting my wrists and my neck and my shoulders and, and also my perineum, but mostly it was like, for me, it was mostly like my wrists and shoulders that were just aching after, after a ride there, just so much weight on them. So I, I thought there's gotta be an alternative to this. The year was 2005, 2004, 2005, somewhere in that that range. And I started researching and getting on the forums. And I spent several months just, I'd come up from work and I would just, I'd hit those forums. And, and I was reading about trikes and quads and recumbent bikes and learning all the lingo, the long wheelbase, the short wheelbase, underseat steering, overseat, you know, all these different different terms for these different kind of weird, funny bicycles. But I didn't like any of them. There was something wrong with all of them in my mind, as far as, far as uh, from an engineering point of view, they, they were either too long or they had a, a little front wheel or just things I didn't like about them. Mostly it was the long chain. But then I saw a reference to this kit that could be built from a, you could buy a Y-frame mountain bike and with this, this genius guy in Australia had had invented a kit that could convert that to a front wheel drive recumbent. And I saw a picture of that and that looked really cool. And I, I, I thought it was great. So I ordered one, I built one up and I loved it. So this bike was, it literally was held together with hose clamps, but it was still, I loved it. I, and I, I, it probably weighed 45 pounds, super heavy. But I could ride for you know hours and hours, and uh, I loved it. So Maria said, "You won't catch me dead on that bike." But <laughs> then one day we were out for a ride, and she was hurting on her road bike, and she said, "Hey, let's switch bikes for a little while." So we traded bikes. I let her ride the cruise bike, and she loved it. She picked it up very quickly. Uh, just I don't know, like a day or two, and she was riding, and she said, "I love this. I want to get one." So we ordered. Long story short, we ordered one for her, a kit. We had that built up, and we started riding together farther than we'd ever ridden. We were both loving it, and you know, we we felt like we had discovered a secret. Like, oh my, this is just amazing, and this is we can't keep this hidden from the world. I mean, people need to know about this. But the kit was hard to. It was really. A, a, it took a long time to get the the kit built up. It's not something that most people want to do. So there's a lot of mechanical things involved with it. So I contacted John Tolhurst in Perth, Australia, and my idea was that we were going to build. We would build full bikes, not kits, but actually build a the first cruise bike. I presented that idea to to Mr. Tolhurst, and he said. Interesting. So we discussed it for a while. We drew up a, a memo of understanding. I sent him some some money to, for for the rights, and we made a partnership and went into business. And Cruise Bike was born, and we we kind of launched the company into 2005, beginning of 2006 uh, at Interbike in Las Vegas. John flew out from Australia. We started you know selling bikes, and and we also sold the kit bike then, but we also had a couple of models of of the full bike. I don't know if you want to step in and, and mention other things from your Well, room. I think also as a physician, you also know what it looks like inside the body 
And so I, I think that was part of your interest in recovery. Absolutely. Bikes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually quite a body of research on the problems with road cycling. Uh, musculoskeletal pains, aches and pains are very common on the standard road bike. And there's also pressure on the saddle and the perineum, which is the, the kind of the soft, fleshy part of your pelvis that uh, basically sits between your right near your genitals, uh, male or female. There are nerves and arteries and vessels that run right under that area. And everybody's different. And But for some people, those arteries and nerves cross these bony prominences. And then when you put those sit bones on a saddle, you're going to compress those and you're going to cause ischemia or and pressure on the nerves. You can cause a neuropathy. And if you if you do it long enough, it can be irreversible. If you get any numbness, that's like your body telling you that what you're doing is really bad and you should stop it because it's going to be, it can become permanent uh, injury. And there's a, there's a study, I'm a radiologist and I saw there was a really good study where somebody took an MRI, which can show what's happening inside your body. And they created a, a saddle and they put somebody on a saddle in an MRI and they and they documented like the compression of the blood vessels. It's, it's like you can just see it. It's like yeah, Jim could not see that. I mean, you, it's, it's, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's no question about it. It's not it's not up to debate. It's just that's just what happens when you sit on a saddle. And this there were studies. There's some saddles with cutouts and they, they have, you know, split down the middle. And the studies on those really is. They help some people and they actually make it worse for other people because everybody's anatomy is different. So if your anatomy, if you happen to have anatomy that perfectly coincides with that gap down the middle, it's probably going to be great for you. But they don't work for everybody. And, and for some people, the edge of that saddle is going to hit one of your your arteries or nerves and, and might make it worse. Yeah, that's part of the the medical background related to why I, I really wanted to find a recumbent that that worked. I would just add to that, that I like athletics and I like pushing myself to the limits. I don't mind discomfort at all. In fact, I, I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy the challenge of pushing. But what I noticed even in myself on a traditional bike, we call them legacy bikes, <laughs> is that, you know, that so much of my psychic energy was taking, taken up by managing my discomfort that was unnecessary. For instance, my hands going numb or my neck hurting or my back hurting or my pelvis hurting. So I, I didn't mind the pain, but once we switched over to cruise bike, I could put that psychic energy into actually powering the pedals and really, you know, making my heart pound and making my legs burn, the kind of good, good pain. <laughs> you know, I want to kind of hit on a mental element here. When you said kind of like, you're not going to ever catch me on that kind of bike. Yeah, yeah. When you look back at that, how do you explain kind of where your mind was? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think a lot of people feel that way when they see us on our bikes. And I get that because I felt that way too. And I've, I've since actually studied this and I made a presentation at a design conference. We we are used to things a certain way. We We get used to, and fashion moves more quickly, the fashion world say, but we get used to Bell-bottom pants, for instance, to, to make an example. And that, that looks cool for a time, and then it looks totally wrong in another time. And bicycles, they're very similar. We're used to what we think of as cool as is that beautiful arched back that you see in the in the artistic rendering of, of a 
Peloton, you know, four or five or six people, you know, like half curves of their arched back. So that's what we're used to thinking of as good and socially acceptable and and beautiful. And a recumbent literally puts that on its back. And it doesn't look to your mind when you first see it, it's like, no, that's wrong. That's not cycling. That's not how cycling should look. And it's really just the way our brains are wired. And it's very difficult to gradually move. You can move to lower, thinner and thinner leg pants from bell bottoms, but you you can't gradually move from a hunched over position to a laid back position. So one of our challenges in our company is, is to get that image out there so that people accept it as a viable way to move through through time and space on your on your bicycle. Very common experience for us is we'll be riding along the road and there'll be some kids out, maybe teenagers or preteens, and they will see us ride by and they will just go nuts. Cool bike, man. I love your bike. They, and, but there's something that happens between that age, whatever age that is, 14, 15 years old, and then an adult who goes, ooh, weird bike. Does that hurt you? Or like, you know, so so there's something that happens that the, in the socialization process where people, their mind becomes closed and they they develop what the, the iconic bicycle should be. And if you're not on that, there's something weird or wrong with you. Yeah. The, the cycling world has is, is been, had the same basic, the safety frame has been the same basic design for well over what a hundred years, I guess. Well, since 1934. Right. So yeah, I, I, that's I think that's a point worth exploring a little bit. So uh, the UCI, the Union Cyclist International, which governs cycling, even USA Cycling, it, it is a, is a subsidiary of the UCI. Were used to be open to recumbents, and re- recumbents were welcome in all of the major races, the world record attempts, the, the the big tours in Europe, and cycling was actually a much much bigger sport than it is now. It was like NASCAR and the Indy. Formula One, everything rolled together. It's, that's what cycling was back then. And, you know, it's the major cyclists were huge stars. What happened was a cyclist, a French cyclist named Francis Fowler, was riding a recumbent built by a, a, another Frenchman named Charles Moshe. And unfortunately for recumbents, he started beating everyone. And the cycling world was faced with a choice. Do we let this happen? Or... Do we ban them forever? The UCI had a had a vote, and it was actually a very close vote. It's like a fifty-two to fifty-three or something. I mean, very very narrow vote, but they voted to ban them forever. So all the the records were struck, and that was it. It was gone. And so so the UCI when they banned them, they defined what the bicycle is. They said, okay, the the handlebars will be here, the bottom rack will be here, the seat will be here, the front axle will be here, the rear axle will be here, and so that shape that bicycle form is that way because it was made by fiat it was it was the ruling of the uci people think that the bicycle is the way it is now because that's the best shape the safest shape the fastest shape none of that is true it's not it's 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 probably one of the most dangerous shapes it was it was an improvement in safety over the 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 high racers with the ones with a huge wheel but it's it's really still flips you on your it 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 leads to frontal crashes. It, it causes chronic injuries to the saddle. Uh, it's much slower than a well-designed recumbent because your your body is in, not in an aerodynamic position at all. It's not ergonomic. 
uh, it's really an inferior bike in almost every possible way, the exception being mountain biking. Other than that, on the road, there's just no comparison. It's the recumbent design, a well-designed recumbent is far superior to a road bike on the road. What a monumental period in time. The shift that would have happened if if that boat would have gone the other way, right? And being that close, it yeah. you can imagine that there would have been so many different uh, things that would have come out of it. Yeah, evolution, the evolution of the bicycle, the, the development. Think about the car from 1934 to now, the airplane from 1934 to now. Just about every other Locomotives, technology. anything. Think what a train looked like now. I mean, but the bicycle hasn't changed. The components have changed. The material, they may not, you know, make them out of carbon fiber. You know, they make them out of carbon fiber now. But the bicycle has, it's been frozen in time, the, the form. Uh, and it's not because it was superior. It just was just what they decided to do in 1934. For racing. But then in the 60s, when people became interested in ergonomics, that's when the kind of the re- the rebirth of recumbents started, and we like to think we're bringing it back. <laughs> there is an element when you decide to make the decision between adapting uh, frames that were already on the market to having a frame built for exactly what you wanted to do with it. That seems like a pretty significant manufacturing design challenge to take on. How did you feel about that at the time? The very first whole bike was called the Soft Rider. And interestingly, it was designed, it looked a whole lot like our kit bike. So the first cruise bike looked a lot like a a mountain bike. It even had the bottom bracket in, in the same place as the bottom bracket on a mountain bike because the manufacturer was like, that's the way we know how to make our jigs fit that bottom bracket, the, the BB shell. And so if you look at our first bikes, we had two BB shells, one that we actually used for the crank set and the other one that was just there because that's what the manufacturer was used to. And uh, we plugged it with plastic. And we put, put a little plastic cover <laughs> over it. Uh, so, but then once we got that and we started selling those and, and the manufacturer realized Hey, these guys are for real, and this bike climbs better than other recumbents and has advantages over the recumbents. Then uh, we got serious, and and uh, John Tolhurst worked with the manufacturers in Taiwan, and we kept honing it and honing it and making it better and better. Uh, and actually, patented John, uh, John Tolhurst got a patent on a on an improvement over the design by Tom Trailer in. Los Angeles, California. He actually got the first patent on the front wheel drive bike. And then John came up with an improvement over that. So uh, we, we are standing on the shoulders of, of some pioneers, uh, very brilliant pioneers who helped develop the, the cruise bike. Bicycling is seen as something that once you learn it, that knowledge stays with you. You know, people will say things like, it's like riding a bike. <laughs> and I'm wondering how much of that ability transfers to a recumbent. Yeah, I think a lot of it does. Uh, you, you still need balance and strength to ride a cruise bike or any recumbent bicycle. The big change is when you go to a trike. You don't really need to have balance on a trike. You know, you got three wheels, you're you're very close to the ground, you know, so you definitely need bicycling skills. So I have taught hundreds of people how to ride a cruise bike. Uh, and many people come to me and, and they want to know, can I ride 
a cruise bike. And my my first question is, well, do you ride any bike right now? Any bicycle, two-wheel bicycle of any kind? And if they do, they can ride a cruise bike. Now, sometimes I'll have people say, I, I, you know, I hurt this or that, and I haven't ridden any bike for five years. I'm going to worry about that person riding the cruise bike. And often I'll say, look, before you come try the cruise bike, dust off your old bike, get out there, just ride it, you know, just practice, get ride a few miles, get, get, get that feel back. And, uh, you know, if they can do that, then they can probably ride the cruise bike. So, so you need to be able to ride a bicycle to ride a cruise bike. And I would just, to add to that, I think one of the challenges for cruise bike is that our bike is a bicycle. It's got two wheels. It's a bicycle, but it, but it does it does have a learning curve. And again, young people particularly you know, have no problem with it. But of course, most of the people who are interested in our bike are, are more mature, and they do have to learn to ride it. People do, but it's there's definitely some some new skills involved. Maria, you're an endurance athlete. Yeah, and. You talked about running, and then obviously there's been a transition to being a recumbent endurance athlete. I'm wondering, I think maybe you would use a cruise bike uh, in a way that a lot of people wouldn't, um, who are not endurance athletes. And so I'm wondering about what influence you've had, you know, when you think about spending hours and hours and hours on a cruise bike. How has that had an influence on the design? Well, every recumbent is more comfortable than a traditional bike. I used to think about doing an ad where you put a bicycle seat on a fence post and and, and said, "Would you sit on this?" You know. So every recumbent's more comfortable riding. You know, I, I did race across America. I've done multiple twenty-four and twelve-hour races, and, and have set some records. And I think what has given me the advantage is that I don't have to deal with those other pains that I talked about earlier. I'm just getting to, you know, put all my energy into, into moving the pedals and to breathing and, and, you know, and allowing, allowing my strength to move the bike down the road and not having to think about how uncomfortable I am. I, I don't, I think cruise bike's very comfortable, but frankly, if you're sitting in a seat with your, you know, pedaling in front of you, trikes are very comfortable. All recumbents are much, much more comfortable than the traditional bikes. So I, I'm not sure that we do talk a lot about comfort and des- in our design meetings and because that's what we're selling. We're selling comfort. So we want to make sure that every aspect of our bike is comfortable, but it just naturally is. I'm wondering about hand position. It seems like that there is, you know, kind of where your arms are, where your hands are. It seems like there would have been some discovery about what that looks like um, spending more time on the bike. Absolutely. Yeah. Specifically about Maria's endurance training, she was all, always influential on the design and things like the handlebars or headrest. Because if, if Maria was having a problem during the whole development of the bike, starting way back in, in the early 2000s or late, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, we would make changes to the design to try to make her more comfortable as she was sort of the pioneer uh, of the long distance cycling on the cruise bike. But the, the hand position is one of the key things. That's what I tell people that are adjusting to the bike is spend extra time on the handlebar position and on the headrest. Those are the two key areas that you want to tweak and retweak and just keep tweaking until you're you're as comfortable as you are 
when you're, you know, in the easy chair watching TV or something, watching a nice movie, you want to really get that. So, you know, everybody's ideal hand position, there's a little variation. So uh, we have different kinds of handlebars and people can angle them. It's designed so that, you know, people can find a, a comfortable position for themselves. But frankly, you're not leaning on your hands. So I, I, I agree with Jim, and especially getting your head position is is just like sitting in an easy chair, getting your head position so that you can see the TV or whatever is, is important. But because you're not leaning on your arms, you're not leaning on your hands, and we don't even have to wear gloves. I mean, that, yeah. I was I was always like, why is everybody wearing gloves? Oh yeah, they have they need that extra cushioning. Well, your hand position on the cruise bike is more about power production. Right, right. Believe it or not, yeah. uh, so uh, it's of course it's about steering too, but it's it's also about getting the the maximum power uh, because kind of the secret sauce what what sets the cruise bike recumbent bicycle apart from every other type of recumbent is that our front wheel drive design directly connects the handlebar to the drivetrain in a va- in a way very similar to a standard road bike. But in your mind, you have to you have to realize that that it's our system is rotated about ninety degrees. So in other words, we're when when you're on a road bike and you want to sprint or climb and you get out of the saddle, you use your upper body to lean the frame to the right and to the left, synchronized with the time you're doing the down the powerful downstroke on the pedal. And by doing that properly, you're actually getting more torque into the cranks. And we can use this, do the same motion, but it's more of a horizontal pull on the handlebar. And it actually gets more torque in the cranks, just like a road bike. And I, I proved that by using a stages power meter that has an app that transmits the actual torque in the crank 16 times per second to your cell phone. You can watch the graph. But when you, when you pull on the handlebar, you're actually increasing torque in the crank. And Increased torque in the crank is propulsive power you get to use. That's why we're in business to let people know this bike has the advantage of a road bike and also the advantage of a recumbent. And it's the only bike in the world that has both of those things. Yeah, we, we always laugh because when, when we ride, when we first start riding recumbents with other traditional cyclists, legacy cyclists, there's a little, there. I, I always sense a little bit of, um, you know, p- pity. It was like, you know, you have to be on that bike for some reason. And when I just blow them away, that almost immediately translates to you're cheating. You're on a cheater bike (laughs) because we're so aerodynamic that it is that from the amount of power. And my friends on on legacy bikes will say, I'm, you know, we like to to see what power producing, you know, I'm 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 putting 250 watts to your, you know, 120 watts It's like, yeah. You know, aerodynamics does that. Sorry. Um, it's like you could cheat too. You could know? cheat too. It's not cheating though. It's a it's a bike that's available for anyone who wants it. I just love that picture. I don't know what that says about me, but if you taking off and all of a sudden they're going, Oh, I, I'm having to work to keep up with her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Rather yeah. than you know, I thought I was gonna be waiting for her, and here I am have to work to keep up with her. That's exactly. awesome. To explore this a little bit more, you're pushing against the pedal. And I'm wondering, are you, do you feel that? Are you like braced? Your back is braced. Do you feel like you're pushing against being braced as you're pedaling? So the fitness of it is for on all recumbents, you you do have the backrest to push against. So 
all recumbents have that advantage and that you you do have the back rest, which like if you go to the gym and you want to do a, a leg press, you have the your back is supported and that, and we have that. But what I'm talking about, uh, so imagine the bottom bracket. When I, so when I pull the handlebar of a cruise bike or the handlebar of a standard bike and lean the frame, I am moving. So let's say, just imagine in your mind, I am on a road bike and I, I lean the top of the frame to the right while I am pushing down with my left foot. By doing that, I am actually moving my left hip closer to the left side of the bottom bracket. I'm leaning the frame that's moving it's moving the bottom bracket down there at the bottom of the bike and that's actually shortening shortening that distance. So if you you know add those vectors up that that basically is again it's more torque in the crank. And so we do the same thing. So if I am pushing with my left foot, I would actually either I would pull with the left handlebar and that's going to bring the bottom bracket closer to my left hip and therefore shortening that distance more rapidly using my upper body and core muscles to actually shorten that distance and put more torque in the crank so it's kind of hard to describe and visualize but it once you learn the technique you'll feel it and you say oh now i know what he's talking about well i think you're you're doing a great job of explaining it so that that's awesome are you pedaling in a circular motion are you clipped in Oh yeah. Well, you don't have to be clipped in just like, you know, but we, we generally, you know, I tell beginners not definitely don't clip in until you're really comfortable on the bike, but yeah, you'll, you'll want to clip in for, for maximum performance. And when you come to a stoplight, this is like basic questions. I know <laughs> like when you come to a stoplight, is it easy to put your foot down and to, to keep yourself up? Yeah. I, I usually I'll unclip one foot when I come to a stop. Yeah, I don't, but I don't even anticipate stops. I just come to a stop and unclip and get my foot down. Just like, you know, our foot is further from the ground. It's a good question, really, because I think people probably worry about that. You know, our foot's a little further from the ground because it's, you know, it's, it's up in the air, but it does, it's, it's no problem to unclip and get your foot down. You, you know, some of the worst bicycling accidents you ever see are, are people unable to unclip their foot and fall over. And that happens on, on legacy bikes as well as, as well as any recumbent or any any bike you're clipped in on. From a design perspective uh, with cruise bike, it almost seems like there's two different audiences now because you've got people that are just experiencing a recumbent for the first time. And then you have people who have maybe been riding it for a decade or whatever, and they might be looking to tweak things that a new rider would not be thinking to tweak. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a great observation. And uh, I think when we were first in business, everybody who bought our bike was already riding a recumbent and recumbent riders are very open uh, by their nature, obviously. And so they, they saw a new design. They're like, I want one of those too. Maybe they had three or four other recumbents bikes and trikes at home. Now we're definitely selling bikes to people who have never ridden a recumbent, even thought about recumbents thanks to our our success and our marketing i think and and yeah they're the people the recumbent riders they're they they're techie you know they love trying different things they're very they're engineers basically they're all engineers <laughs> and so they love cruise bike and they love 
uh, fixing this and that. And our forum has got some really terrific people on it who've, tr- who've built the bike all different ways and, and adjusted this and adjusted that. And But the bike works great out of the box for a person who's never ridden a recumbent. We've thought long and hard about everything and it works. And it's not necessary to be an engineer to learn to love our bikes. I'm not. I'll raise my hand. I am not an engineer. I do not. You know, when I gave feedback, it was very vague, like, oh, you know, I I want my head further forward. I can't really see, you know, I want to, you know, and John and Jim and, and our other designers that have worked with would, would sort of have to translate that into something. But our bike is great for non-engineers. And that's the market we're really breaking into now in a very exciting way. I think maybe a demonstration of that is that you have a semi-recumbent bike, if that's the right word to use, but you have a bike that's at a 50-degree angle or a 40-degree angle, and it seems like maybe that's uh, something, and I think even on the website, it talks about that being a good choice as a beginner bike for experienced recumbent. Is that an example of kind of designing more for inexperienced people? Yeah, I think so. The more upright, so when I started and when Maria started, we wanted to be more upright, sit more almost straight up or just a little bit leaning back. But pretty quickly, you actually get, most people get more comfortable, more reclined. Not everybody. Some people like to stay in that upright position, but you're definitely more aero. And when you're more reclined, you'll find that the, your body weight is distributed over a larger surface area. So if you think about all bicycles, you, you have to think about, okay, what surface area am I going to distribute my body weight over? And so every cyclist, no matter what bike you ride, you should think about that question. Because, you know, on a, on a road bike with, with a saddle about, you know, the size of, uh, of my cell phone. It's a pizza. Uh, a slice of pizza. Uh, that's not a lot of surface area. And then you have to, so if you, if you don't put it on your perineum on the saddle, then you have to put it on your wrists, your hands. And that might hurt. And then you might have to put it on your feet, stand up. And then that's going to hurt your feet if you if you stand up the whole time. And so you have to be constantly rotating that weight on a, on a road bike. And on a recumbent, if you're the more you're sitting upright, then again, you're concentrating your weight right on your tush. Whereas if it's more reclined, you've got the entire surface area of your back to distribute that weight. And it just becomes more comfortable that way. And I think to answer your question sort of more directly and to get back to the issue of what people are used to seeing, when you're sitting up, that looks more like, okay, this is like a bike, kind of, at least my head is up. We do tend to sell our customers. Many of them have more than one cruise bike. So they might buy the Q45, which is a 45. It's actually an adjustable seat angle, but roughly 45 degrees. And then they're like, oh, this is great, but I think I want to go faster. And the easiest way to go faster is to get more aero. And so then they might buy the S40 or the B20C. I think people are attracted to the upright position because they can understand that. Okay. Yeah. That's like sitting on my exercise bike at the gym. Yeah. That's, you know, I understand that. I can see the road. Also we're evolved to balance in an upright position. So it's, it is easier to learn to ride sitting more upright when people go directly to our our most laid back model, the V20C, it's going to take a lot, not a lot, but it's going to be more of a challenge to, to learn to ride that. People do all the time, but it's it's definitely a little bit more challenging to learn to balance when you're laid back. Yeah, even our most 
laid back bike, the the V20, the V20C, it's about a about a 20 degree recline from the horizontal. So it's 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 pretty laid back. But you don't have to be laid back on it. You can sit straight up on it. That's and, true. That's and true. I, I have to remind people that way uh, about that. It's like, you know, you don't have to, you can sit straight yeah, up. When, on you're, when you're learning to ride. In fact, that's how I learned to ride. I have to yeah. sit, sitting up away from the seat or, back. Or if yeah. you're coming, like, so if I'm coming up on uh, some kind of mess on the road, a, a traffic circle or stoplight or intersection, uh, I just sit straight up on that bike. And then my head, then I'm looking, you know, eye to eye with the other cyclists, the other drivers, because I'm sitting tall. So I, I do sometimes people need to be reminded that you don't have to be reclined, even though the backrest is reclined. Maria, you are the cruise bike CEO. And I wonder if you could comment on navigating the bicycle market landscape. Seems like there was a lot of change that happened because of COVID and then a lot of change after COVID. What's that been like? Yeah, COVID was initially just terrific for the the cycling market for the for bicycle manufacturers. It was it was too good, and then it was too bad. So we all sold out everything that we had. Then the supply chain just was completely destroyed, and you couldn't get anything. And there was still a lot of interest. So fortunately, we're a small company. We have really great relationships with our suppliers. We were able to actually keep stock of bikes in all throughout COVID, and so the COVID bump really helped us. We, you know, we sold a lot of a lot of bicycles during COVID, and we continued to sell a lot of bicycles. It's, it's been very good for us for the bicycling market at large. It's been really hard. I, I talked to our dealers who are selling mostly legacy and traditional bikes, and they're they're just really struggling because people bought their bike during COVID and they're done. You don't need, you know, you don't need to buy, buy a bike a year. So the, the, it, there's a sense that the market was saturated. And it's very disappointing because I think all of us bicycle manufacturers really hope that this was the beginning, especially in the U.S., of a real surge in, in cycling and that the roads would become safer and we would all, you know, we would all be on our bikes all the time. We weren't going to change. We weren't going to go back to to the to our cars. And that has I I don't want to say that didn't happen, but definitely it wasn't as good as as an important a move as we all hoped it would be. But cruise bikes doing well. Uh, everything changes. The first thing was was getting bikes and frames and then it was getting components. Components were really short supply and now components are available so that the supply chain is sort of back intact. But the demand for traditional bicycles, I think, has has been really dampened by the. I think the fact that everybody bought a bike and it's it's sitting there. It's disappointing to me that we don't have better infrastructure for cycling. That we don't. That we're not all cycling all the time. I understand, but it, it was sort of the great hope. Fortunately for me, it, it has been something that. That I did. I don't know that it was so much about COVID, but I did gain weight during COVID time. And it was like, okay, I need to do something about lifestyle disease. And I got on a bike and found out that I wasn't um, done cycling. At that point, I was 59. And it, you know, it's one of those things that I would love to see that shift because I think there's so much metabolic dysfunction 
that if we were on bikes every day a, a little bit, that it would reverse. Absolutely. People talk about the cost of healthcare in America, and most of it is due to just this, these diseases of excess. And if we were all riding our bikes every day, we would not be spending nearly as much on healthcare. Think about all the diabetes that would be, and all the heart disease that would be slowed down or, or reversed. Yeah. You mentioned your engineering community with the bikes. When I go to your website, it seems like your community is a big part of, of Cruise Bike. Can you talk about the role that they play in your brand and, and your development? Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to because we wouldn't be here without our community. People who buy and, and, and learn to love their cruise bikes are just passionate. And they have come alongside us really as partners to make sure our company has succeeded. They love their cruise bikes. And we have this incredibly active forum. We try to treat our customers really well. We try to provide the best customer service in the industry. But really, Jim and I often say that our, our cruise bike family is our family now. <laughs> you know, these it has completely changed our lives. We have dear friends, you know, that were initially just customers who have become really integral to, to our lives. So yeah, I'll give a shout out to uh, Larry Oslin. So he's a, he's a great friend of ours. Now we met him through cruise bike. He started out as a customer. We just visited Larry's house where he personally added on a large addition to his home. And he has what? 35 cruise bikes. He's created a cruise bike museum. Wow. In his home, <laughs> collecting all these historic uh, cruise bike models, including that that very first one I, I started with, that kit-built bike back in he 2005. He tracked it down. It was in the back of a, somebody's shed. The kind of customers we have and, and friends we've made. And pe people, other other people like Jason Perez designed a, uh, a clamp. A, yeah, so there's a clamp that holds the headrest struts in the frame. And it wasn't very good. It was a little small part. So we had a customer redesign it. And that's now called the Perez clamp, and, and it goes uh, yeah. it goes on all of our bikes. And uh, you know, we named it after him. Uh, so customers have designed bags for us. We have a customer who gets on the forum and does these detailed builds that he documents to make it easier for others to build them. We have on the forum there are customers just waiting for a new newbie to come on and answer all their questions and help them decide which bike to buy and help them you know build their bike or whatever. You couldn't pay for the kind of customer loyalty we have. There's just no way that they started their own Facebook group that is thousands of, of, of people and that post all the time. It's yeah, we we sometimes just can't believe how fortunate we are to have. And that's what makes it, it fun to just keep going. You know, it's it's still a small business. It still takes a lot of our time and energy, but we, you know, we can't walk away. This is our family. This is what we do. And our forum, someone from uh, Africa, he was going to build a cruise bike. He liked the cruise bike so much, but he couldn't get one. We don't have any dealers and it's hard to even ship one uh, to Africa. And he was not rich. And he, and he didn't have the money. To, they're very, very expensive for a lot of people. So our people on the forum put to, got together and they they bought him a cruise bike and sent it to him. <laughs> I think he built like a wooden one and, and he was on the forum and he was active and yeah. and they're like this guy deserves a cruise bike. So yeah, yeah. so so somebody I, somebody Yeah, yeah. It, we we're speechless sometimes. We are. It's just it's amazing. How has cruise bike impacted the broader awareness and adoption of recumbent bicycles? 
Well, uh, we've become the number one recumbent bicycle company in the world. And, you know, when we started out, it wasn't pretty. We were uh, we were not well received by the standard uh, by, by the recumbent world. Believe it or not, they did not like that. You know, me personally, I would <laughs> well, say like, you want me to tell it, <laughs> we, we, you know, uh, we're, we're passing all the other comments like they're tied to a post. Yeah, Jim, Jim was boasting about our bikes. <laughs> and we didn't realize that there's an unwritten rule in the recumbent bicycling world that you don't diss anybody else's bikes. Yeah, all bikes are the same. All, all bikes are equal. Yeah. It's all matter of personal choice. But we, Marie and I would go on these rides, that, you know, not races. We started out just doing like the ride across North Carolina. And we noticed, and we were on not racing or cruise bikes, but we noticed that we'd be riding along with these really nice recumbent people but as soon as we got to the hills, they were gone behind us. We just, they just dropped off like a rock. I started talking about them on the forums, and I got a lot of hate. I mean, I got a lot of angry people on my case, and uh, I, le- I learned a lot about social media then. So I, I kind of backed off some of those forums. But one of the criticisms that we got, which I, we took to heart, was, hey, that's not a race. You can't really make any judgments on your performance in those you know, cross-state fun rides. That's actually one of the reasons we got into racing to go. So we st- the first races we went to, we tried to find races that had a history of standard bikes and recumbent bikes where there was there was time set on a certain course. And we, we targeted those to see how we would do. You know, we did great. Like the very first one, Maria set the course record up in New York, yeah, and, and she. I think the record still stands. You Jim know? Smoke was coming out of his ears one day. He was on one of the forums, and you know he was he was getting a little bit of criticism for his claims about cruise bike. And he and he looks up and he says, "You're gonna you're gonna race that bike because <laughs> he was he was working full time and he didn't have the time to train." As we uh, alluded to earlier, the UCI, which governs bicycle races, doesn't allow recumbents, so we had to go outside that to the ultra world and start racing ultra that's that's why we started racing long distance uh so and people would say oh well you know maria's just a, a freak because she's just a phenomenon on the bicycle she'd be winning on any bicycle and and I, I could say well look you don't have to guess we have her triathlon results on a standard bike and she in these amateur triathlons she was coming in middle of the pack among the women on the standard bikes and then she was setting world records on the cruise bike. So it's not just a, a gift. She is she's she's really good at training. She's uh diligent. Her, her, she's diligent <laughs> and she's steady, but she's not she doesn't have an amazing VO2 max or a, a super fast cycling history. Really big power. Uh, and then after I started doing it, we had other of course. Oh, other, lots of other, yeah, other I mean we've starters. got records all over on our website. There's a list of our records, and it's it's just amazing. It's just huge. We we've got hundreds of records but I, I would I would say that we also we hired uh, a marketer who happens to be our daughter, but we took recumbent bicycles, I think, to a new level with marketing. At the time we got into the business, there was other recumbent companies and the websites were hokey. Our website was hokey. And uh, we hired our daughter and others. And we said, we're just going to really raise the bar. We're going to pretend like we're a regular bicycle company. (laughs) We're going to take professional photos and we're going to have a website that's very professional looking. So I think we, we, we hope that a rising tide would raise all boats. And I think there's some, there are some 
really great companies out there. But as happens in the recumbent bicycle world, little companies, because they're they're little companies usually run by an individual, they come up, they sell a few, and then they go away. But you know, we've been in it for the long haul and we just continue to provide customer service to have bikes in stock, to have an excellent customer interface on our website. We just are determined to be a real bicycle company. I think that the records, to me, that's really compelling. It seems like at some point that someone got attracted to trying to do like go full out and go, you know, as fast as they can. Maybe someone who had accomplished stuff as a professional cyclist. Is there like a story there of somebody getting on it and you felt like they tested that bike to the max? Yeah, yeah that that brings to mind Jason Perez. I mentioned he designed the Perez clamp that's on, on the V20, but Jason was a mountain bike racer. He would do uphill, mostly uphill mountain bike racing. He was a motorcycle racer, you know, going around these corners with his, you know, knee dragging the ground. Uh, and he got a cruise bike and he started pushing the limits in these long 200-mile uh, races in California. That they, they have the Triple Crown. They're, they have these series of races that have so much climbing. I and mean, we're talking about 20,000 feet of climbing in, in, in a race. The kind of the amount of climbing that if any recumbent actually ever finished the race, that would be big news. That'd be on the forum. Oh my God, this guy finished this this race with with twenty thousand feet of climbing on a recumbent, and you know that would be big news. But Jason won these races. He beat all of the road bikes on them. And if you ask him, you you know he would tell you basically the cruise bike climb just you put the power in it climbs just like a road bike. But a little slower because it's heavier. So he would he would go up the hills just a little slower because it's but it's it's heavier. But he would just destroy everyone on the flats and the downhills. The guy could go seventy miles an hour on the downhills. Don't recommend that. I've seen the videos. When I when I go over forty, I've been up to about fifty five, and it's it's kind of terrifying because my eyes water. I can't see. I'm, I'm like you know, it's just I, I can't believe how fast I'm going. But he's got more tolerance for that, probably from his motorcycle experience. So uh, he, Jason really pushed the limits on that to show what someone could really do on, on that. Uh, and he's not a, he's not a pro cyclist. He, he's an amateur cyclist. He was a pro motorcyclist, but he was never a pro cyclist. That is really interesting. And to me, scary. <laughs> <laughs> If you're highlighting to people that don't know much about cruise bike, what do you tell them? Like, this is my favorite part about it. This is what's so enjoyable about it. I always give the magic carpet speech, which is I reflect on my seventh, seventh birthday and the feeling of freedom and delight that I had on a bicycle. And when you get comfortable on a cruise bike, it's exactly the same. There is no managing your wrist, neck, back, or groin pain. There's no toughing it out through these biomechanical issues. You're just sitting on your magic carpet and pushing as hard as you can on those pedals and, you know, feeling your heart beating. And it's just, you know, it's just pure pleasure for me. Uh, and, and also the view of the road is better. 
different. When when uh, I ride, even if I'm in my V20C, I'm seeing things that nobody on their legacy bike is seeing because they're they're hunched over in a tuck trying to keep up with me and they're or keep up with each other and they're looking at the wheel in front of them or the road in front of them. And I'll never forget there was one day we were riding in before dawn in the country with a group and I I look uh, you know I'm I'm looking ahead and I see this owl come down and just pick off this bunny on the side of the road and I'm like yes, you see that oh my gosh and of course nobody saw it because they were they were looking at the road they were looking at their the wheel in front of them they weren't seeing things so one of the things you know in addition to racing which we talked a lot about is adventuring if you like to adventure on your bicycle this is the body position you want to have you 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 don't want to be leaning over your on your handlebars you know turning your head from side to side you want to be sitting up you want to be able to see the world around you and our bikes are just great for that because they're comfortable and they you know they carry packs and um, they're just they're just great for adventuring. So I they're not good for everything, as Jim said. Mountain biking, you know, they're not great for that. But but they're good for just anything you want to do on a road or trail. Can I can I add sure, a couple? Yeah. yeah so a couple points too. I thought that was a great description, Marie. Really good. I also think of you get on a regular bike, a standard bike, and you get in a cruise bike. It's, it's true, like yeah. you kind of are tucked in, uh, so you're in it. Yeah. You you feel like you're integral with it instead of being perched up on this little saddle, kind of sticking way up in the air, kind of top heavy. Uh, you're in it. It's like you're in the cockpit of a jet fighter. Yes, kind of. Yes. So it's it's. I used to always feel like I had to put a seatbelt on. It's a <laughs> different like experience. Yeah, it's a different experience. <laughs> and, and so and yeah, so when we wreck, we we don't flip over the handlebars. Generally, it's very hard to make the cruise bike do a forward flip. Much easier to do that on a, a standard bike or legacy bike. Of course, like any body riding fast, myself included, I've gone around corners too fast on and hits a patch of sand and slid out. Generally, when you wreck a cruise bike, you get skinned up. You get some some uh, scratches on your on your hip and your arm, uh, but you don't break your you don't break your, cla- you don't break your clavicle on our bikes. I have started doing a lot of biking and then my daughter and her husband, both her husband first actually started joining me and then my daughter. And so my life, my wife is being left out and um, (laughs) she has not found a position on a bike that is comfortable for her. How would someone like my wife, Kelly, get a chance to to set in a bike, (laughs) a, a cruise bike? How does that happen? How does someone, you know, find it locally? Well, that's one of our challenges. We don't have too many dealers. We have sort of a loose system where people can find other owners and and sit in one. We do we do have some dealers. I, I don't know where you're located, but there are some really wonderful dealers where you can go. The best thing we have going right now is a a trial and you know, we're aware that because we're a small company and because there's not that many dealers, People want to try the bike and they can't. And really, a dealer parking lot trial is not the best experience. You really have to have time on the bike. So with the T50, the Q45, and the S40, people can buy the bike. We ask them to keep it for 100 miles, to ride at least 100 miles on it. And if they don't like it, we'll take it back and pay return shipping. 
So we we call that our 100 mile trial. And, and that's been a great way for a lot of people to try the bike with, with little risk. I mean, you do have to put the bike together and then take the bike apart if you return it. And we do get returns. We get plenty of people who uh, who say, you know, it's not for me. And we're happy to take the bike back. Most people, if they give it a fair 100 mile trial, they're, you know, they're in love. They're so glad to be riding without discomfort and all the things we've just described. Like anything else that it does require some some practice, you don't really want to be doing it in front of 20 people. Jim learned to ride his in our neighborhood after dark going around the block. I learned with Jim. She learned faster than I did. I I took, uh, like I said, about two weeks, come home from work, go out after dark because I didn't want anybody to see me wobbling. And I did wobble. I wobbled all over the place. But then quickly... You know, I, after about two weeks, I felt comfortable enough to go out on the bigger roads with cars. But my neighborhood was quiet. And at night, especially, there was nobody out there. And I could just practice doing figure eights and riding around the block. Yeah, there's a lot of skills. We have a lot of videos on learning to ride a cruise bike. It's it's not as hard as some things, but it's definitely a skill. And I think that's one of sort of the advantages, like especially for a person, an adult, we don't get that many opportunities to learn new things. I just bought a one wheel because I, I had, it's been so long since I learned to ride a cruise bike that I thought, you know, I want to learn something new just to kind of get in touch with my customer's mindset. And one wheel, we had bought one for our son and he was just having a ball. I thought that looks really fun. And it's taken me weeks. I think one wheel is much harder than a cruise bike, but I'm getting, you know, more comfortable on it, but it's not something that I want to it's not something I'm going to learn in a day. And it's not something I want to do in front of other people. I'm going to, you know, I'm going out in quiet places and I'm I'm getting more and more comfortable on it. So it, it's a privilege as an adult to get to learn something new that brings you so much joy. That's awesome. Now, my wife is an e-bike person. Do you guys have a way of accommodating people that want pedal assist? Yes, we do. Uh, we, so we did have a model that we actually manufactured, produced, and sold called the T50E. So T50 is one of our current models. Uh, the T50E, uh, the problem with it was it, it didn't really sell. I mean, we loved it, and we still kept a few around, which are not for sale because we we still love them. But the whole battery thing, you know, I, I, I think they're too expensive because they're so cheap. We can't make them anywhere near what they're selling for. So we can't compete with the mass manufactured e-bikes coming out of China. We just can't, we can't compete with that. But what we do have is the T50 is designed for the addition of uh, a, uh, of electric assist uh, that in that rear wheel. And the, the place you want to do it, you want to do it in the rear wheel uh, on a cruise bike. So that's the bike. It, so you could take it to uh, any decent e-bike shop and they could convert it to e-assist. And I would recommend that you have the throttle controlled rather than the pedal assist if it's legal in your state because all recumbents, not just the cruise bike, but all recumbents, they're hard to get started from a stop, all of them, because on a, on a, on a legacy bike, standard bike, you get, that, you get to stand up on that first stroke, you stand up on the pedal and drop your weight down on it. And that gets you going from a stop. You can't do that on a recumbent. So being able to to hit that throttle and get going without pedaling is is just a really nice feature. 
Nice. Maria, can you talk a bit about your interest in brain cancer research and how that intersects with what you're looking to achieve at Cruise Bike? I have to say that there's a documentary out there of your, uh, I don't know if it, if you've done Race Across America more than once, but there is a, a documentary out there and I watched it and I cried. <laughs> I, when I'm not going to like ruin it for people, um, but there is a major event that happens that uh, there's a question about whether or not you, you can continue on. And uh, it was so disappointing. You know, I was um, at that point. So can you talk a bit about that? Well, thanks first for watching the film. It's called Hope, and it's on uh, 3000milestoacure.com, our website for brain cancer research. If anyone wants to see it, it's free to watch. And it's about my 2013 Race Across America, which I did solo. We have done it since as a four-person team, which was also fun, but no movie was made. That came about because my sister, who was very close to got a glioblastoma multiforme GBM, very deadly form of brain cancer. And she was young and we were, we were best friends. We were very close. She was born just 10 months before I was, we were sort of Irish twins and we had did everything very similarly. She had five children. I had four. We, we just talked on the phone all the time. And when she was diagnosed, it was an extremely frustrating and grief stricken time for all of us. And I had at the time had been doing a little bit of ultra cycling and had set a few records and I wanted to do something to help Jenny and to help and to, to deal with my own grief and frustration. So I entered race across America and raised some money. My goal has been to raise a million dollars for brain cancer research. I think we're there or almost there. We continue to do, to uh, raise money. It's been 10 years since Jenny died. Our Chris Bike family has always been really supportive of that. And um, so we were, you know, we just keep on doing it. The Race Across America in 2013 was an incredible experience. And the movie details what happened, what made it kind of an amazing thing for both me and for people impacted by brain cancer. It's just a really good story. I think you'll find if you watch the film and we're always just interested in supporting people who might be impacted by brain cancer, whether they're family members or people who have it themselves. And we're still doing that. We're the, we, our major fundraiser now is going across the Grand Canyon on foot, not on bicycle. Every year we go across the Grand Canyon in a day and we, we're raising a lot of money with that. And we still, I still occasionally do bicycle events where I raise money for brain cancer research. It's great. This ultra cycling kind of really difficult uh, athletic challenge is, is always, of course, a great way to model how difficult these diseases are and how difficult the journey is and how frustrating brain cancer particularly is. There's been so little movement in the research there. And it's because it's relatively rare, but mostly because people who have it die. <laughs> you know, if, if it's a disease that people haven't lived with, like breast cancer, there's just, you know, you know about it. Everybody you know is has had it or has a mother or aunt or sister, or whatever, including me. I have a sister who had and survived, survived breast cancer, but, you know, so there's a lot of people out there who care about breast cancer, not as many of us who care about brain cancer. So we're still, still trying to raise money. And like I said, the 
Cruise Bay community has been with me the whole time. And so many customers and supporters have given over and over and over again. And I'm so grateful for that. There were two special things I thought about with the documentary. And one is that there is this element of really educating about the physical difficulties of going through cancer treatment. As you were going along saying, I I know that my sister, she deals with physical challenges with her treatment and she doesn't feel good and she keeps going and I'm going to use that motivation to keep going. I thought that that was a great part of the story. And then also that it interlaced were people telling their stories. And I just found that to be a special part of the film and and very well. Well, Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Where do you see Cruise Bike in the next five or 10 years? What What's exciting about the future? We'll be having a team in the Tour de France in about five years. <laughs> That's the dream. So, yeah, we'd, we'd, love, uh, we'd love the UCI to come to us, beg forgiveness. <laughs> and say, you know, we made a mistake in 1934 and we want you guys in the Tour de France. We voted again. No, we really are going to just keep on going. We've got new designs. We're always working on. We're always trying to innovate. We're we're we've got a couple of really exciting new designs that won't come to fruition for years. So don't hold off on on buying your cruise because it takes five six years to to develop these things. But we care about. I care very much about the health of of the American populace, particularly the world. And I just I think. Cycling just is such a great antidote to so much that's wrong, right? You know, it gets you outside, it gets light in your eyes, it gets exercise. It's a great way to be with people. It's a great way to see the world. It's just, it's just such a great thing. So I, you know, we'll continue advocating for for anybody to get on a bicycle and and to ride. And 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 we expect cruise bikes gonna really explode into the into the mainstream market because people will stop being so stuck on having to look like Lance Armstrong. I love it. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I appreciate so much you taking the time to do this. I know that running a small business is uh, not an easy thing. And so good on you for doing that. And, and thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Well, thanks, Tom. We, we really are honored by being invited on your show. And thank you. And and we appreciate what you're doing to 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 get cyclists out there too. All right. Well, take care, and we'll uh, hopefully be in communication sometime when we're trying out a cruise bike. Okay. Terrific. Bye now. Bye. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. I find Jim and Maria totally inspiring. First of all, they decide to take the risk and start a company selling a bike that isn't well embraced by cyclists, and they stick with it through the inevitable ups and downs of the cycling business. You have to admire anyone who is willing to put that kind of energy into something they believe in. And then you have Maria's accomplishments. She is definitely a role model of perseverance. On top of everything, they really seem to recognize that the most important thing about their company is the community that is part of their growth and development. I love that aspect of it. I was certainly intrigued by their opinion that a recumbent is just the best way to experience cycling. I really wonder what would have happened if UCI had not voted to eliminate recumbents from competitions. 
I went out and did some reading on what was behind the UCI decision in 1934. I think I would need to do more research before I could form an opinion on whether or not they did the right thing. I would love to hear any opinion you have about recumbent bikes. Have you ever thought about getting one? Has anyone listening tried a recumbent and decided it wasn't for you? You can find my email and the show Instagram link in the show notes. It is always a highlight of my day to hear from listeners. Also in the show notes, you can find a link to a video where Jim is explaining the aspect that he talked about in our discussion concerning leverage when pedaling a cruise bike. Check it out. It's pretty interesting. And there is a link to the film about Maria's race across America. I really enjoyed the film, and I would encourage anybody to go and watch it. I hope you are getting the most out of your cycling these days, whether you are on a recumbent or on a, quote, legacy bike. And remember, age is just a gear change.